right. Let's go to open some prayer. Please bow. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come together today. We thank you for the service we just had, and we pray that you use those words to edify us throughout the week. And we pray that we be courageous enough to walk for you, to glorify you, and that as your body here, we come together as a family, that we lean on each other, that we connect, and that we go out into the world bringing your light. We ask that you be with us throughout the rest of this day and throughout this week. And it's through your son that we offer this prayer. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, yeah, just a reminder, we've, we've been doing this. So we've got uh, the two Keiths have mics on either side here. So if you're going to, uh, we really want to be able to connect with those folks. Welcome those who are streaming in here with us. Uh, so if you do like a one sentence thing before they can get to you, I'll just repeat that. But uh, we, we really love to hear from the folks here as we're reading scripture together and uh, thinking about what we're doing. And so we want the folks online to be blessed by that. And so uh, uh, so Keith and Keith will get the mic to you when you do it. Um, as we uh, as we continue our study, we just begun a study um, looking at different passages of scripture that will dialogue together with a classic book from Christian history called Life Together. A man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who literally gave his life in a time of chaos to be following Jesus in a way that's very different than the world. Um, and I want to begin where we're going today by, uh, by uh, sharing one of my favorite stories uh, from, uh, from some friends of ours. I might have told some of you this before, but, uh, but I remember our, our, some of our best friends from college were talking about driving one day. Their two children are in the back of the car, a son and a daughter, and they're just fighting. They're fighting the whole trip. And finally, my friend turns around and says, what in the world is going on? And the girl says, he won't let me play with the cat. And that may sound like a strange thing. There's a cat in the back seat. Here's what's going on. In order to kind of get through the trip, they created a pretend animal, a pretend cat that they were playing with, and she's fighting over it. So you don't understand conflict until somebody's fighting over an imaginary animal. And I'm thinking... For me, it's a funny what we talk about. We enjoy that story. And yet, those moments of childhood are often symbolic of what we continue with the rest of our lives. In case you haven't looked around in the world or our own hearts from time to time, we live in a world where conflict and tension is inevitable. It's happening. It will happen among us. And part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus relates to how we engage conflict, relational tension, and all of that. In fact, I believe what Scripture teaches, and certainly one thing that Bonhoeffer will talk about and testify to, of all the things that distinguish us more than anything else, of followers of Jesus, all the things. I don't know about you, but I remember growing up, we had marks of what it looked like to be a Christian, and most of them had to do with specific sins we didn't do. Even in this past week, I was laughing with a friend of mine. We were talking about our upbringing. He said, yeah, we, we couldn't go dancing. You know, and, and the, the old saying was dancing leads to you getting pregnant, right? So you, you can't dance because you'll have babies and, all, you know, all those jokes. And you could list the things, right? By the way, some of the things that were on the list of things not to do are good things not to do. But think about this. What determined being a Christian in my young mind, and many of us, were a list of things we didn't do. I've said before, I remember a book on my father's shelf. It wasn't 
his fault. He inherited this from somebody, but it, it was some do's and don'ts for a Christian. I thought that was so symbolic because I thought that's what Christianity was. You know, list of don't, a lot of don'ts, not marry many do's, do go to church and that kind of stuff. What scripture and what, again, I, I'm, I'm convinced Bonhoeffer will testify to is the greatest defining mark of the Christian life is the way we treat each other. The greatest defining mark, especially Paul's language in the household believers. Like how we relate to fellow followers of Jesus define us more than anything else. Jesus, you know, prayed about it on all that. I could give the verses to proof text it, but I don't want to do that. So I think it's important as we come into this dialogue with Scripture, what does it look like to live life together in a place where, which is every place, where conflict is inevitable? And again, we're imagining ourselves not just talking amongst ourselves, but Bonhoeffer himself, through his writings, is sitting in on the class. He's not Jesus, but he's sitting in and weighing in. And boy, he has some things to say because he knows a little bit about a world in tension and conflict. Right. So that's where we're going uh, with this. So I want to... Uh, go to a text of scripture first again the way we're doing this you don't have to read the book I'll bring in things from the book and he's dialoguing with us through that but I want to look at a a central text in scripture the book of Ephesians so if you have your Bibles or your uh, devices that you're looking at it on Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 I'm going to read 11 through the rest of the chapter one of uh, Ephesians is one of my favorite places in the New Testament that gives a picture of what church is supposed to be like. I, I think right now, in the way I've got it lined out, we'll, we'll be back here in a week or two, uh, a little bit later in the book. So let's think about this. As always, I will throw it out to you to say, what do you see here about who we are and how we relate to each other um, as followers of Jesus? Uh, I'm going to read the whole thing, and we'll break it up in smaller chunks. Ephesians 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of God's promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus You who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So let's look at it maybe in three little sections. Let's look at kind of the introduction first to what he's saying here in verses, excuse me, 
11 through 13. So let's focus on that. Let me read that again. What do you notice here? What jumps out at you in terms of who we are, what we face in the world, and how we can live together as followers of Jesus? Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What do you notice here? Anything at all? We have an identity now. We we uh, all have the same identity, and it's uh, uh, the blood of Christ. Yes, we we have an identity that we didn't have before. That is on. Uh, we have an identity that we didn't have previously, right? Um, identity is a huge issue, isn't it? We struggle with who am I? We just heard the message about it. who is Jesus. But the accompanying question is, who am I going to be in light of him and in light of everything that's going on in the world? There's a wrestling for identity. It happened all the way back then, too. Who are we in the midst of all this? What else do you notice, Kevin? Yeah, um, we were once dead. We were lost. I mean, there was no hope for us uh, besides Christ's uh, perfect sacrifice. Yes, absolutely. We were used to be dead. There's that imagery, you were once dead. He, he nails that in chapter 2, right? Um, th- think about this, too. Like, uh, I, the, the words that just hit me, even in reading it again this morning, there are different camps, so to speak, that they're wrestling there. You've got the, the Jewish folks that have been the, kind of inside the covenant for a while, the Gentile outsider. Listen to the language. By the way, you can tell Paul is mostly writing to the Gentile folks. He's saying, y'all... And he's talking about them as opposed to him and some other Jewish folks. But listen to this language. Um, Verse 12, you were separate, you were excluded, you were without hope and without God in the world. Separate, excluded, without. I was just thinking about in, in this section, again... We can read this, at least I can do this sometimes, and it feels like a thousand miles away because we got Jewish tension, Gentile tension, and that is certainly real, but it's not the, the primary thing we see. But isn't it true that most of our lives we're walking into or out of some kind of battle, some kind of struggle to belong? You know, I used to think that was just like middle school, right? That was just a phase in middle school. We don't know who we are. We don't know where we fit in. I'm just telling you, throughout life, We're always wrestling one way or another with kind of feeling like we belong or inviting somebody else to belong. Are we in? Are we out? I I was thinking how crazy this could be. It could be stages of life or it could even be things that just hit us quickly from the outside. You know, Ken, I love my friend who's here today. He's able to be back with us. He helped walk me through having COVID a while back. And the thing that I've said to everybody, you know, other people had much worse. I mean, fatally worse, all of that. So I'm not complaining about this, but... for me, the hardest part was not physical, it was mental. Like, he knows he saw my text. Like, two weeks in, I still got a fever. I'm thinking, what's going on? And it wasn't just the physical part of it. It was the isolation from other people. At the beginning, we were literally isolated all over the house. So I'm in the same house with people I love, and can't see them. And then disconnected from all of you. And I'll tell you, in times when I'm isolated and disconnected, my mind goes crazy. I, th- I feel like, do I belong anymore? Do I, like, 
Does that make any sense? And that's just a two-week period of time with a sickness. How much more in a world that goes crazy or a church that's in transition or all of that? I feel like we are always in one stage or another with wrestling with this idea. Do we belong? Does somebody else belong to our group? Does that make sense? And I, don't, I forget who I was talking with recently, but I love the fact that much of our New Testament, I might even argue that the majority of our New Testament was written in the face of conflict. The majority of it, right? From Acts 15 on, it is about this question. Ephesians, Colossians, certainly Romans, Galatians are written about these two groups of people that are fighting and wrestling to be part of the one body and who belongs and who doesn't and who's in and who's out. Yes. I was, it's been coming to me lately about unity and community. I don't know why in the world I have never put the two together as in the same unity part. Mm -hmm. But giving, given some of my background, which I won't go into exhaustive detail, I was very much an isolator in very much darkness. Yep. But the community part of where I'm no longer in darkness and no longer in isolation, I have this craving for community that I never knew about. Even yeah. though I've always been a believer, but there was other things going on in my life yeah. that pulled me away from that. Yeah. But the beautiful part of what even Keith said is that we have the same blood. We have the same DNA, which is Jesus Christ. Why would we not want to be in fellowship with one another? Mm. That's the community part. That's the love of Christ. That's our DNA. We all accept it as yeah. his, his children. And it is just really, um, my, the light has went off for me. Yes. And, yeah. I, and I just appreciate that. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Absolutely. We, we, exp we have this unity and we experience it. Community means to have that unity together with others, right? And that's the push. That's the... That's the environment. I love, again, I love the fact that, that they're wrestling with this way back then, and we still find ourselves in that place today. There's some, there's some gift to that, right? Other thoughts on that? Uh, the other thing, again, it's not even in my notes. It just struck me when I was reading through it this time. Did you catch how labels can divide? Paul says, I'm talking to you who are the uncircumcision. And it's in quotes in, in, in this version, it's right. He said, you are called the uncircumcision by those of us who are called the circumcision. Like they're labeling themselves over against another. And often, not always, but often, perhaps most often, when we attach labels to ourselves, it is excluding another. And do you see how quickly this happens? I know I've mentioned this in class before. Let me say it again. I am struck by the studies that have been done with the, it is in the fallen world, it was not God's intent, in the fallen world, we exclude and separate almost by our fallen nature, like it's what we do. It was one, um, I, I know I mentioned this before, but let me say it again, there was one Jewish scholar that studied this um, and, the, and the predisposition, he did this over the course of years. And he did experiment after experiment after experiment. And what he did is he got a group of people, totally random group of people, and completely randomly separated them into different groups. Group A, group B, green and blue, whatever. It was something like that. Had nothing to do with nationality, career, anything else like that. As soon as he separated them, they started speaking down or over against the other group in the course of study. Like if you put us in any group, we will start feeling better. Or I heard a guy talk about this this week. 
He said, I have struggled my whole life to belong, and I realized in every group I found myself in, I was either going measuring up or measuring down. He said, I could come into some groups, and I would feel like they've got it all together, and they're doing great, therefore I don't belong. Or you'd be in another group, and he would think, man, these bunch of misfits, they're crazy folks, and I've got it together in relation to them, and I don't belong. Do you see this? It's part of the devil's work that we get into groups, and instead of finding community in that group, we exclude and push and judge and look over against the other. And Paul says, I'm going to write this text right in the middle of the mess of it all. So let's invite Bonhoeffer into this. I love the line in the beginning of, we're in, we're in the community chapter, just reading a, a chunk there. And this is what he says on page 17, my edition, it may not be yours, but in the first page of community. He said, Jesus Christ lived in the midst of enemies. So the Christian too belongs not in the seclusion of a cloistered life, but in the thick of foes. <laughs> there, in the midst of enemies and struggle and conflict, there is his commission and his work. I think that's a powerful reminder. Because he goes on to say, like, we tend to want to be around people we find pleasant and comfortable and works for us. And he said the problem is the one we're following didn't do that. He was in the middle of the storm. He was in the middle of the conflict. In fact, sometimes his way of extraordinary way of living would stir up the conflict. And Jesus lived his life in the midst of chaos. Why should we think our lives are going to be any different? And I don't know about you, but for me, mentally, I've got to get to that place because I keep saying things like, I just want the world to get back together. I want people to get along. and all. Yes, we will hopefully have more peace in the craziness and unrest and disease and all of that. And yet, we will always live our Christian life in the midst of foes, <laughs> spiritual and otherwise. Yes, uh, Ken. Keith? To me, isn't it interesting that Jesus probably was the most complete, healthy, emotionally stable individual? And when we become discomforted with a different group, it usually, in my experience, has been because we are not comfortable with who we are. There's something about us that makes us inadequate. And so to build ourselves up, we tear down. Uh, so to do community... Part of that beginning begins with us working how we can become comfortable. Can we really become comfortable in Jesus and know that we're okay? Once we're okay, then the differentiation of groups doesn't matter as much. Oh, that's so powerful. That's so powerful, yes. Um, it fits like the little motto, you spot it, you got it. Sometimes when I'm, <laughs> probably all the time when I am seeing and judging something in another, it's because I can't stand it myself and haven't dealt with that. Jesus and his help was able to relate to other groups, and sometimes our exclusion, my exclusion, is because I'm not in a good place with me, so i got to not be in a good place with you. That's so profound. Thank you for that, Ken. Thank you. And, and by the way, there's, there's more. If you are reading along the book, go in light of what Ken just said, go back and reread that middle section. We'll talk about this more in a moment. But relating to other people in and through Jesus, like there's something about what he's talking about that, the first time I read that and the second and the third time, it's like, oh, yeah, 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 whatever. But there's something deeper going on there in terms of relating to somebody in Christ changes the way I relate to myself and makes actually connection more possible than it would be otherwise. Again, we'll talk more about some of that in a moment. Uh, keep, keep sharing. Let's forge on with the next little section and uh, keep adding. You know, what, what do you see here in terms of who we are, how we relate to each other, how, how we can? Verse 14, we'll read uh, uh, 13 to 14 through 18. 
Again, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For Jesus himself is our peace, who made the two groups, in that case Jew and Gentile, but there are other two groups, made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and preached peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. What do you notice here? commonality the the rallying point is jesus central the rallying point together yes yeah, yeah, yeah. for both groups if we're all going to come together it's around jesus yeah. and, and i'm sure you probably heard this uh, done before if we had a bigger group we could almost simulate it here but you can imagine this i um I, I remember when they started the uh, the men's ministry promise keepers and the way i think it was max locato that started that have you heard this so all these men from all different denominations, Christianity, all over the world or, or, or all over the country or in Colorado, wherever it was, and filled an arena or something. And he started out and he said, all right, um, I want everybody to shout out your denomination. Baptist, church, cry, all that kind of stuff. And so you, can you picture what that sounded like, a bunch of muddled different stuff? And then it was something like, where are you from? And all this kind of, you know, all different stuff. And, and I've heard people do it in different ways. What, uh, what football team do you root for? Or whatever the case may be, or, you know. And then he said, now I want you to shout out the first name of the one who gave you life and the reason we're here. And then with one voice, you heard a whole stadium say, Jesus. I just think that's so powerful. And it seems like it's more than just kind of a corny intro to the thing. It's like, why are all of us here? Have you ever just thought, thought about this? I, I can almost guarantee most of us would not be friends if it weren't for Jesus. It's not because, I mean, you probably wouldn't hang out with me, but I just... You're wonderful people, but we wouldn't be in this place. We wouldn't have felt called to this place. You know, all of this. God throws people together that would otherwise not be together. And we could, if we spend our time thinking about and calling out the things that can exclude and divide us, we could live in that world for a long time. But if it's not just, not just a moment when we stand together in a room and say his name, but what if we seek to relate to each other first in and through Jesus. Again, it's, it sounds like something that you would expect. I love the movement that you noticed David did today. You'll say things, and yeah, that's what a preacher says. No, live into it. So we expect Bonhoeffer to say, all relationships in Christ must begin in and through Jesus. It sounds so simple, but it is incredibly profound because I can start my relationship with you on whether or not I like your personality or we have a similar background or we look the same or we vote the same. We could start there, but what if we started when we come together, this little, I've heard people kind of do it almost as a prayer in my mind, I'm relating to this person in and through Jesus first. Because the only reason I'm able to be here in any sense of the word is Jesus and Jesus made a decision you think about the Holy Spirit and the, how Paul unpacks that in, in 1 Corinthians 12. 
how the Holy Spirit throws gifts and personalities and mixes together. We are here because of Jesus. And maybe Jesus has something to do with us being together and not just me. Does that make sense? And it changes everything. So I love the way that he unpacked that. Other thoughts on this section? Yes, Kevin. I think the thing that uh, strikes out to me is how, uh, like we were saying, he's he's made everybody into one people. He just brought everybody together, uh, making them one one person, one people. And uh, I like how Paul says uh, he's abolished the law. So like he's Jesus has fulfilled the law for us uh, by his sacrifice, well his life and his sacrifice. Yes, Jesus has done the very things that are necessary to make it possible for us to come together, right? He destroyed the, the wall, dividing wall of hostility. And what if, again, we don't just read this as Jew and Gentile, but what's going on with us today? Um, it makes me think of how Jesus prayed to the Father that we would be one. Yes. As he and the Father are one. Yes, yes. This was Jesus' passionate prayer. Just a reminder for those that maybe come from our heritage in Churches of Christ and didn't know this, or folks that come from a different heritage, praise God that we're all here together. One of the things that was the founding plea of the movement that became Churches of Christ and Christian Churches and Disciples of Christ, feel the irony of me having to say three of those things, is that plea for unity. I mean, that scripture was the basis of the founding of our movement in Christianity. Can we draw people together? And just for a moment, can we kind of sit in the irony of that, not to beat ourselves up, but it literally became the very thing we're talking about here. When we said, can we just come together, can we just come together and just be Christians? And then all of a sudden the we became, well, we're coming together in unity better than you're coming together in unity. And we, we, we started our own thing. I mean, it's just crazy how that happens. Luther, you know this, who started the Protestant Reformation, did not want not to be a Catholic. He just wanted to reform things. And then all of a sudden it became this group and another group. <clears throat> it's amazing, the uh, Keith over here, Mike. It's amazing our, our ability to end up dividing up into different camps. So again, if we can do this with colors a, uh, red and green and A and B, how much more can we do it when you add a little God theological conviction to it? Yes, Emma. Well, kind of thinking about, I think it was Grant. Who said, no, I don't know who, it was Ken. Okay, just about um, examining ourselves. And if you go all the way back to the garden, like I feel like that's where the disunity started. So the serpent came in and made them think, no, you don't have it all. You don't have what you're looking for. And started the shame, which led to disunity with God. You know, they were separated then from God. And then we just see that manifested over and over and over and over. This guilt, shame, ununified guilt, shame. And it's just like... It's, it was so obvious at the beginning, this separation. And I don't know exactly <laughs> what I want to say about it, but just that if we get into the, the heart of Jesus and his love and everything he stood for was so opposite. You know, the way he, with the touch of his hymn, said, to a woman, he looked her in the eye, who was unclean, take heart, daughter. Like every human having such significance 
God created every single one with such love in his heart and such unity in his heart. And I just long for that. Like, I, I don't know if this, I'm rambling, but in my mind, it made a lot of sense. But just that unity of this overwhelming love that doesn't make sense to the world. You know, his love didn't make sense. That the circumcised, the uncircumcised, it didn't make sense. But it worked because it was so full and so powerful and so good that it was worth it. It was worth it to look crazy, you know. Yes, and again, to hear me where we started, that you described it beautifully and more powerfully than I could do at the beginning. That will make us look different than the world around us. <clears throat> if we can be crazy enough to bear with one another, as Paul says, to love each other in radical ways when the world is literally tearing themselves apart. Keith, not to make you run, but back there with that. Um, I, I was, I'm thinking about this a lot in light of everything that's going on. Let me just put it really specifically. I, I've got friends in my life that are at odds with each other because of their vote. And I understand, like, I think we need to say things about, and, and David talked about it. There, there are things going on in the country, in the world, we need to say, man, that's crazy and that's wrong. But here's the thing. People are not able to be friends with each other. I'm not talking about worldly friends. I'm talking about Christian friends who are struggling with their friendship because of a political vote. And I'm just, I'm aching over that. I understand there are deep things that need to be talked about. Can we do that? But this is what Bonhoeffer is saying. Can we see people first? In light of Jesus, in and through our relationship with Jesus first, then we can come and have different kinds of conversations here. Uh, Mike, back here first, and then Keith is going to go. I know how much you love sports analogies. <laughs> the movie Miracle. Yes. About Mir the Miracle on Ice Miracle team. on Ice. Yes, I love it, and I played it for my ministry students. So, yes. The scene oh, where yes. Herb Brooks, the coach, is pulling these disparate, guys together who are what 20 or 19 20 yep. 21 years yep. old and he has them doing sprints back and forth yes. the length of the ice stops who do you play for i play for you know boston university yep university of pittsburgh yes Pen yes 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 back they're, they're doing sprints so their tongues are hanging out they're puking and everything finally one of them says usa and if y'all have no idea what that's about, that's the team that beat the Russian machine army team. Yep. Yep. And, you know, the rest is history, as they yep. say. But yep. that's the kind of unity that, that is trying to be accomplished, in my view. Beautiful. I, I love it. That's literally the scene I play for our ministry students. I love it. I love it. And, and the, the great line is he said, you're not going to do anything until you realize the name on the front of the uniform is far more important than the name on the back. <laughs> the fact that you're playing for the United States of America is more important than Micah Ruzioni or Reverend Jim Craig and all those other people. Yes, absolutely. Uh, back here for, or, or where's the mic? Oh, you already got it. Sorry. And you want to say something, too? Uh, there is mention here about uh, abolishing the law of the commandments and the ordinances, right? And <laughs> I, I think what it's getting at is really abolishing the penalty of the law, of the ordinance of commandments, because the penalty is death. Yes. And what Jesus do, has done, he has overcome death. Yes, yes. And therefore has reconciled God and man. Yes. And that is the true peace. Yes. Uh, that's 
especially something that takes us back in time. Right, absolutely. And in their context, that's exactly part of what was dividing them. So think about this in the othering over there. In the in the in the othering over there, we what they were doing is Jewish people were saying, you can't and listen to this, because I'm telling you, it's happening today. But the Jewish people were saying, you can't hang out with us, you can't really be Christians unless you literally think like us and look like us. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to follow these regulations. And part of what Paul is saying, <clears throat> the uh, sp- <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> the spirit of the Old Testament law, the heart of the Old Testament law, isn't abolished. The penalty is, and these regulations that you are following over against another group that's excluding you. But I'm telling you, I've got people in my life, and I love them, and I'm wrestling through it too. But they're saying, unless you say this thing, unless you believe this particular way, I can't. I can't be in relationship with you. So, so let's think about, yes, that part's powerful, but what would be on the list today if Paul were writing to us? What is he trying to d- abolish in his flesh so that it would tear down the walls of hostility today? There's a lot of things that are dividing us, so I love it. It's the death of relationship as well as is our relationship all? with God. Yes? Just in hearing what you said there, Dean, about you know that unity out there in the world, Last May, after what happened to George Floyd, it was like, I mean, I am, that affected me so much. And I know it did a lot of other people very deeply. And I remember I prayed and I asked God over and over, you know, I'm a widow. I have a lot of time at home alone. And I want you to know that I just said, God, whatever it is that you would have me to do out there for your people, help me to do that. And since that time, I have had encounter after encounter. And you say, how does those encounters start? Pretty much all, well, I will say all of the people have been black. They have been young men. They have been women. And the way the conversation starts is that they catch my eye somewhere where I am. And I look at them and I say to them, I am your sister, and you are my brother. (laughs) We are both created in the image of God. And I want you to know that I sometimes go on and I say things like, what does God's greatest commandment, what is it for us? To love the Lord our God with all of our soul, with all of our mind and our heart. And the second is likened to it, that we are to love our neighbor as Mm. ourselves. And and you are my neighbor, and I love you. Yeah. And every single person. I remember one time I was over here in the parking lot of the Horizon Bank, and there was a black lady that came out, and I s- asked her about something. And then I engaged in that same conversation. Mm. And as we stood there, tears began to roll down her cheeks. Wow. And so I just, in sharing this with you, it's like all of those things I know was through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's about what is it that, how is it that God can use you out there in that wow. hurting world? And I have no idea of all of those people, where they were in their walk of life. But I say I give God all the glory for Praise that, for God. using yeah. me. And it's like I continue to do that. So I just, That's you know, and I want you to know I'm a lifer in the church and I grew up in the 60s, and my dad was an elder, and he allowed me to dance. 
In fact, I just <laughs> love to girl. dance. <laughs> I love dancing. And I used to tell people, when I die, I'm going to put a transistor radio <laughs> in my casket, and I'm going <laughs> to dance my way to heaven. <laughs> I love it. Amen. That's so beautiful. And your spirit is so beautiful. That. Thank you. Thank you. By the way, I will give a shout out to my mother. She she was okay with that too. She she was very good. She said it's not dancing that's the problem. It's what sometimes happens around that. I'm like, okay, that's that's wisdom. That's wisdom. Thank you. What a beautiful example of of living out the story of Jesus. When there's conflict going on in the world, can we not just try to ignore it? Can we certainly not amplify it? Can we step into it with the very heart of Jesus? And be astounded. Emily, you've shared stories of the same kind of thing that just speaking a word might do. Can I drop Bonhoeffer in here? Listen to this. Um, again, there's some things. Sometimes it's just like in places in Scripture where there's deeper truth than I get. So I'm going to give you the quote and you can, you can do more with it than I'm able to do. But I think you've given an example of what that looks like. The power of the word of God coming through another human being. Right? Not to make them anything. So let's let him say it. On, on page 23 in my edition, God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother or sister and in the mouth of human beings. Like God says, I'm not just going to speak and you've got, you, you get to sit alone under a tree and never interact with anybody else. God has chosen that the way you will hear his voice is through your brother or sister. Therefore, the Christian, listen to this language, needs another Christian who speaks God's word to them. And I'm, hear me, he's not, I can hear this language. He's not talking about up here. He's not talking about me. He's talking about you speaking life into each other's lives. They need, listen to this, again and again to hear that word when they become uncertain and discouraged. If you are like me, I've heard other people say it this way, the most dangerous territory in the planet is the space between my ears. It's a dangerous place in the world because I can become discouraged and dark and crazy and all that. I need the word of God, but I need it through other people speaking life to me in some way. It's not just like Bible verses or whatever, speaking life. This is what he says. And, and this is the part that's like deep. I don't want to wrestle with this. But the Christ in one's own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of their brother or sister. Hear that again. The Christ in one's own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of their brother or sister. Their own heart is uncertain. Their fellow Christians is sure. Now, I'm not sure what he means by all of that, but I'm thinking, again, whenever I read a classic, my first thing, when I, when I find something I want to argue with, my first thing is to say, all right, what truth is there? Maybe there's something I need to learn instead of just argue with. So I was thinking about this, and, and maybe you read it a different way, but I find my, my own experience, I can look at other people and I can judge pretty quickly, oh, here's what they're struggling with. Here, here's, here's a blind spot. I can see that in other people pretty, pretty quickly. And I have a hard time seeing blind spots in my own life. Now, here's the flip side. I can see gifts and treasures and what is precious in the heart and the life of other people. And often, I can't see it in me, and they can't see it in them. Right? I sat down with a guy this week, and, and, and we did this exercise where he named things that are gifts in his life, like, and it was really hard for him to do. I, I hate saying that I'm good at this or whatever. We have a hard time with that. Uh, is it possible that's part of what's going on? God says we can't see our, our obstructions and we can't see our gifts without our brother and sister saying, hey, lovingly, do you see, do you see this gift in you? Do you call it, right? I, I don't know if that's what he means. Maybe you've got a different reading of that. Yes. <laughs> they can't hear you. That's the problem. 
what I shared with you, and we as Christians, I think it's that many times we think we are not going to be bold out there, but God says, my people are bold, and I will provide them with those situations, those words. Don't shy away. Don't be timid. Step out there in faith and express that to others. Right. We need to be bold. Yes. And, and so hear, hear me. Part of what Bonhoeffer is telling us is that we need each other in deeper ways than we ever begin to know, right? Like we need this in each other. And, and so, yes, be bold. And here's the thing, and, and I know several friends in my life are starting to do this more. When you think of someone, speak it, right? When there's someone comes to your mind and there's an encouragement, text it, send it then. I have been blessed unbelievably in recent days because people said, you know, I thought about you, I just want you to know I'm praying. Or this kind of cool thing happened, we're doing that for each other. And that changes. Like, God says, I'm putting you together for a reason. Is it possible the Christ in you is seeing something in another person they can't see in themselves? And this isn't guilt like the old song, well, if, they, if you don't say it, here's the thing. If you don't say it, God will send somebody else, right? So we're not that important. But we can be in the moment. You have a gift to be able to share that with somebody else. I think it's phenomenal. Um, we're, we're running low on time. Let's look, let's look quickly at the last, last section. Again, get the picture in this. In a couple of weeks, we're going to see Paul expand on that later on in this very book. So what do you do with the fact that Jesus did all that he did? Verse 19. Consequently, listen to this identity language. I think he started he talking about identity. Here is your identity. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The giftedness of his leaders are important. With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I um, just want to bring in Bonhoeffer on this, and we'll wrap up and talk more about it next week. But there, he has this whole section here about um, not taking for granted the fact that you can have visible, tangible Christian fellowship. If you haven't read that part, this is one of the reasons I chose to do this study right now. Because he had a little section where he's talking about, let's not, let's not take this for granted. And I'm going to read that just in a moment here. But think about it this, this way. And I know we know this intellectually. I'll just say for me, I know the image here intellectually. But I'm asking in this season of life for God to take it from here to here. The gift that we have in fellow followers of Jesus, imperfect and broken as we are, saved by the grace of God as we are. That verse is right before this. God brought us into this community, and it is a priceless gift to be able to do what we're doing right now, even spread out around the room with crazy masks on. It's a gift. So hear this again from Bonhoeffer, and remind yourself, this is a guy writing these words in a secret, illegal Christian community. <laughs> Remember this? Okay. So here's a guy who isn't just writing theological words from an ivory tower. He's writing this in secret. If they find out, they would kill him because they did. All right. Here's what he says. It is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world to share God's word and sacrament. It's God's grace that we can come in the same room and take Holy Communion together. It's God's grace that that happens. Now listen to this. I think 
you know, before uh, March, we might have read these words differently, but hear this. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, the scattered lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in foreign lands stand alone. Now listen to this line. They know that visible fellowship is a blessing. They know that visible, tangible, being together is a blessing. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. Of all the times in the world we can hear him, he's for totally different reasons. Isn't it a priceless gift that we can be together as, as rules-based we have to do when we do it? It's fine, we do it. I don't take that for granted. The two weeks that we couldn't be here and then we had to shut down church again and had to do it all online. And Don't you just, oh. and I remember the week we came back, there's only 20 people in the room. I think I, I had to fight to not hug every one of them. <laughs> I'm like, I'm immune, I'm going to go hug you, right? <laughs> La- last line here and then we'll wrap it up. This is from him, page 20. The prisoner, the sick person, the Christian in exile, people in coronavirus, people divided and, and fighting each other for whatever reason sees in the companionship of a fellow Christian a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. I know that sounds so mystical and preachy. But Jeff, when I saw you today and had to walk up to you, this was so funny, by the way. I did not see your text until later. So I saw Jeff, and I hadn't seen him in a while, and I walked up to him, and I said, physically seeing you is a blessing to me. And then they handed me a loaf of bread. So I tried it with Bill, and it didn't work. So I'm just, I'm walking up and seeing if I get gifts when I say hi to people, but... Physically seeing you blesses me. Seeing you can physically in this room blesses me. It, but here, it's not just because it's cool to see my friends. Do you hear? Bonhoeffer says, whether we believe it or know it or not, the presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is doing something. When the Jesus in you comes in contact with the Jesus in me and in us, and we come together, it is a sacred moment, whether we recognize it or not. Don't take it for granted, the man who died for this says. Therefore, let them who until now have had the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of their hearts. Praise God that we can be together and share the life with God together. And can we let our relationship with Jesus be the basis of the way we relate to each other here with gratitude and with grace? And we will talk about that in the days ahead. So we'll finish, I think, the rest of chapter 2. Um, if you're reading along with us, if you're not, don't worry about that. Um, we will pray for you. Uh, uh, life together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, life together, yes. Uh, I'm going to put my daughter on the spot and ask her to pray for us. Dear God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for bringing us together, um, just to gather in community here. Um, I pray for everyone who is not able to be here in person um, and just that you'll watch over all of us um, for continued health. Um, I just pray for peace and uh, unity in our nation. Um, And I just thank you so much um, for sending your son um, and just being able to bring us together in this way. Um, In Jesus' name I pray, amen.